Today we are looking at the Gospel of John again, chapter 18. You'll probably remember that the first 12 chapters of John were Jesus' ministry to the people. Throughout that time, John presented Jesus as the Savior, as the one who will save, as the one who will forgive sins. And he proved that by different miracles that he was doing. And, um, and then after his, the three years of ministry, we entered into John chapter 12 through 17, where, where Jesus pulled back, or I'm sorry, where the apostle John, by the Holy Spirit, pulled back the curtain for us to look into Jesus' time alone with his disciples. When the night before he was, he was crucified, he was able to share with them the things that were on his heart, to share with them what was most important to him as he was about to leave them. We saw things like Jesus washing their feet and teaching them about servanthood, where we did the Lord's Supper, he did the Lord's Supper with them, where he prayed for, for them and prayed for us even. And then when that time was over, we now enter into John chapter 18, which is the passion of the Christ. And passion just means paschal. It's, it's talking about Jesus, the sacrifice. And so today we are going to look at what John has to say about, about that. Now remember that John was, hold on one second, I'm gonna back up one thing there. There we go, great. That John was an eyewitness of these events. And by the Holy Spirit, he wrote these events down with great detail for us to, to watch and to observe and to become a part of that. And at what we will see as John presents this is that although Jesus is, is subject to, to earthly judges and to earthly king, he himself is king and over all of this. None of this happens by surprise. None of this happens as with him as the victim. Rather, he is control of the whole situation. My goal today, as we study this together, is that we would enter into the scene, that we would be a part of the people there, that we would feel what Peter felt, feel what Pilate felt, understand what, what, uh, what Annas, the high priest, was facing and to look at Jesus. I wanna remind you that there are four gospels, four accounts of Jesus' life on earth, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All of them give an account of the events today, but from different perspectives. So today we will mostly be looking at John, but I'll bring in what some of the other gospel writers did. But again, John was the only eyewitness of the trials and of the crucifix. And so we get to look at that today. Pray with me as we, we enter into this. Lord, we desire for you to teach us, instruct us, fill us, fill us, Lord, with what you have for us today. As we look at this, Lord, we don't wanna know more. We don't wanna know more about this. We want your Holy Spirit to work and change us as a result of what we see today. Lord, help us. In Jesus' name, amen. You ready to work? Let's work together. John chapter 18. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the ravine of Kidron, where there was a garden in which he entered with his disciples. So John is a great writer. 
and by the Holy Spirit, it makes a lot of allusions. And one of the allusions is right here with the Kidron Valley. The Kidron Valley was a wadi, which means it's a dry riverbed. During the rainy season, this will flood and become a torrent. But right now, it's dry. The reference here really is bringing us back to the Old Testament, to the time when David was running from his son Absalom. Absalom had committed treason and was about to take over the kingdom, and David was fleeing from him. But David found out about it because there was a traitor among him, one of David's most confidant advisors, Ahithophel, was a betrayer. Betrayed his whereabouts, betrayed what he was doing, to Absalom and David fleed. And what's also significant too is that, that Ahithophel just a few days after this committed suicide just like Judas will for Jesus. So John is saying here that, that not only is Jesus in the lineage of David, but he is the rightful king and his kingship is righteous as David's was and in fact will be more righteous and will fulfill the true David, the, the true rulership that was given to David. And so we have that happening right here. Now, Judas also was betraying him, and he knew the place. For Jesus had often met there with the disciples. Judas then, having received the Roman cohort, and officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. So Judas, who had just betrayed Jesus, is now leading a band of men to come and arrest him. And we have two groups of men. We have, we have the, the Jewish police from the temple. Now these were men who were assigned by the Pharisees and by the, the religious leaders to go and arrest Jesus. And in fact, they will head up the arrest. So they're part of this group. The other part of this group is a Roman cohort. Now a cohort was usually between 600 and 1,000 people. It's not likely that all of them were there. I think we can look at this kind of like if we said, oh, there was a fire down the street and the fire department went there. It's not the whole fire department, right? It's just some of them. And so I think that's what we have here. But it was a large enough group to, to require a commanding officer. So Judas gathers, gathers this, these groups together, and we have to understand why they've come together, these enemies. Remember that Rome, at this point, has occupied Israel, just like it has occupied most of the Mediterranean world at this point. And Rome was in complete control of everything. They ruled everything by threat of life and they kept peace with that. But as they took over different nations and different people groups, they allowed each of these nations to keep their own set of laws as long as it did not conflict with or contradict Roman law. So one thing, for instance, which we'll see a little later, uh, that did conflict between Jewish law and Roman law was Jews felt they had the right to, uh, to exercise capital punishment. Rome stopped that. They didn't want Jews killing anybody that might be in favor of Rome. So that's one of those laws that Rome uh, superseded the Jewish law. So together we have the Jews, the, the, the temple police, and the Roman cohort coming because this was the time of the feast. And it was most likely, of all the times of the year, the time when a riot would happen or an uprising against Rome would happen. And in fact, 
Pontius Pilate came to Jerusalem just for this season because it was such a, a scary time and he needed to control what was going on. No doubt he was aware of the Roman cohort that was going to, to arrest some, some rebel here. He was probably aware of that. It's at this point, John doesn't say it here, but it's at this point that Judas comes and approaches Jesus and kisses him on the cheek to reveal who he is to the arresters. Throughout this section, John will make commentary about what's going on, and here's one of those. He says, so Jesus, knowing all the things that were coming upon him, he knew everything that was about to happen. None of this was a surprise. Jesus was in complete control. The next two words floor me, though. He says, Jesus, knowing all the things that were coming upon him, went forth. I would not do that. If I knew what was about to happen, like Jesus knew what was about to happen, I would hide. Guys, hide me. Hide me. Cover me. Pretend I'm not here. Let's find an olive press and hide me in, in in the press. But Jesus stepped forward. You know, the truth is Jesus wasn't really arrested. He gave himself over. They didn't, have to, they didn't have to grab him. He stepped into it. Jesus went forward for us. He did that for us. He was willing to do this in spite of his knowledge of what was, what was going to happen. He went forth and he said to them, whom do you seek? What's so beautiful about this, again, John just being a, a brilliant writer, is this is almost the same exact question that happens in chapter one when a couple of John the Baptist's disciples approach Jesus. Jesus says to them, who are you looking for? The Messiah. And here the same question is used. But they're not looking for the Messiah now, are they? They're looking for a rebel. Well, they answered him and they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said to them, I am he. And if you'll notice, the New American Standard has he in in, uh, italics. The reason for that is because the word really isn't there at all. In the Greek, it just says, he said to them, I am. We have seen throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus portraying himself as God. He said, I am the good shepherd. I am the vine, the true vine. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the door or the gate. And here, when they say, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, he simply says, I am. And at his saying that, they fall back. Says Judas also, who is betraying him, was standing with them. So when he said to them, I am, they drew back and fell to the ground which is the biblical response throughout the Old Testament when when God came face to face with man or when man saw God, he was down, down on the ground. That's exactly what is happening here and what the Apostle John is telling us who Jesus is. Therefore, again, he said to them, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus the Nazarene. Jesus answered, I told you, I am. So if you seek me, let these, the other 11 of my disciples, let these go their way. And then John's commentary, this was said to fulfill the word which Jesus had spoken, of those whom you have given me, I lost none. Just prior, the night before, Jesus was praying for all of his disciples. And he said to God, Lord, you have given me these disciples and I have not lost one. 
And way back in John chapter 10, when we looked at Jesus being the good shepherd, he said there, the good shepherd will not lose one of his sheep. Every one of us, every one of us are in the care of this God-man, Jesus, our good shepherd. You know, one of the things Jesus could have said is he could have said to the disciples, now I warned you that persecution is coming. So guys, get ready. We're going in this together. But he didn't do it. He protected his disciples and he stepped forward in it himself. So Simon Peter then, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's slave and cut off his, ear, his right ear. And the slave's name was Malchus. Now you gotta hand it to Peter. He was pretty brave. There's a, a group of 11 people, well, 12 with Jesus, and this, this band of police and this cohort of, of Romans soldiers come, and Peter says, nah, my Lord's not getting taken. He's not gonna do this on his own. I'm gonna step in, and he starts swinging a sword. He probably went to chop somebody's head off, missed, got his ear. It's amazing. What a brave guy. What a brave guy. I'm glad this is in the chapter because we're going to see some other things about Peter here in a minute. So Jesus said to Peter, put the sword into the sheath. And what John doesn't tell us, but Luke does, is that Jesus healed Malchus's ear. Now think for a minute. Think about this. Be there. Put yourself here in this place. You're one of the Romans. You're, you're one of the soldiers there. We're, we're coming. You know, we're, we're kind of aggressive. And the guy who we're looking for just steps into our hands and says, I am he. Here I am. Take me. Uh, we're not sure what to do. I guess we'll just grab him and go back. And then Peter suddenly pulls out his sword. As soon as that happens, I'm sure they all pull out their swords. They're ready for the fight. And Jesus just says, put it away, Peter. It's not how I do business. Put it away. And then he reaches over to the man whose ear was cut off and heals him. What did they think? What must they have thought at that moment? What would you think at that moment? And he says to them, he says, let this cup, or, or I'm sorry, he says, the cup which the Father has given me, shall I not drink? Just prior to this, Jesus prayed in the garden, Lord, let this cup pass before me. Let me not have to go through this, but I want to do your will and not mine, so I will step through. And here is Jesus stepping forward into the cup of wrath. He didn't just resign himself to the cup. He stepped into it. He gave himself to it. He pursued the wrath of God. He pursued the sacrifice that he was about to make because he knew there was greater glory ahead. And that glory was us. He would pull together a kingdom of people that belonged to him. We have to contrast here Jesus' reaction, which is to step into what was about to happen, and Peter's reaction, which is to resist it. Let me fight it. And Jesus just saying, no, I'm stepping forward. I'm going forward to this. So the Roman cohort and the commander of the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. And we cannot miss the Old Testament reference here. What do you think of when you think of being bound? How about Isaac? 
being bound by his father Abraham, representing God giving his own son. Jesus being bound here is a clear, a clear speaking that he is the son of God, being bound for the sacrifice. And they led him to Annas first, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. So I need to tell you a little bit about Annas. Annas was a high priest. Uh, he, he became a high priest in AD 6. And in AD 15, the Romans removed him. The governor before Pilate removed him from office. The Jews hated that. The Romans had no business doing that, messing with the Jewish religion. So they removed Annas from the high priesthood because they didn't want him there. They didn't like him. But many of the Jews still saw Annas as the high priest. And in fact, John is even going to refer to Annas as high priest, much like you and I would refer to a retired pastor as pastor, even though he doesn't necessarily hold the position anymore. But out of respect, we will call him high priest. No, I'm pastor, not high priest. <laughs> Let's not go there. I was going to take a little bunny trail there. We won't do that. But... Uh, uh, Annas was removed, and following him, he had five sons, a grandson, and a son-in-law, Caiaphas, who all became high priests, one after the other. Annas still had a lot of control and a lot of power and was really ruling what was going on. Now, Annas is also very popular because you know the story of where Jesus walks into the temple and they're selling sheep and selling doves and, and it's this bizarre happening, right? Crazy things are going on. And Jesus begins to overturn the temple. Well, that whole bazaar is called Annas' bazaar. He was in charge of it. He was profiting from it. He was the one who was making that happen. So clearly an enemy of Jesus here. Caiaphas Annas' son-in-law wound up being a high priest for 18 years, which tells you something about him. It tells you that he was in cahoots with the Romans. It tells you that he was corrupt and that he was, he was playing both sides. And very few people liked Caiaphas, uh, but the Romans kept him there because he was doing their bidding. So that's Caiaphas, man of corruption, known for his corruption. John makes commentary next. He says, now Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews that it was expedient for one man to die on behalf of the people. So here it is. Caiaphas earlier said, Rome has a bloodlust and they're going to they're gonna get us. They're after us unless we give them somebody, like, like throwing the lion somebody just to keep him fed. And Caiaphas made a prophecy that it would be Jesus. Now, it wasn't, he's not a man who is prophesying something good here, but he's saying it would be good for us to use Jesus as the man to throw to the lions. That's what we're going to do with Jesus. Now, the obvious irony here is that Jesus did die on behalf of the people. They didn't know it. They missed it. And because they missed it, Sadly, 40 years later, in AD 70, most of them would die by the hands of, at the hands of the Romans. Romans would come in and devastate Jerusalem, destroy the temple. Had they received their king, things may have been very different for the Jews. So one man died on behalf of the people, 
but the people had to die anyway because they didn't receive the sacrifice of that one man. Now, John gives us, takes a break from the trials of what's going on here, and he's gonna give us a little insight into Peter. Simon Peter was following Jesus, and so was another disciple, that would be John. Now, the disciple was known to the high priest and entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest, but Peter was standing at the door outside. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the doorkeeper and brought Peter in. So John used his influence to get Peter to come into the courtyard to continue to be a part and watch what was going on. Then the slave girl who kept the door said to Peter, you are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. And you can't miss the contrast here. What did Jesus say when they said, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth? Nazareth? What did he say? I am. What's Peter saying? I am not. I am not. I'm not who you think I am. Now the slaves and officers were standing there, having made a charcoal fire, for it was cold, and they were warming themselves. And Peter was also with them, standing and warming himself. And now John's going to bring us back to Jesus. Change the scene here. The high priest, Annas, then questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his teaching. So this is the trial by Annas. In John chapter 11, uh, the Jews, the Jewish leaders had already decided that Jesus must die. They said, so from, th from that time on, they planned together to kill him. So this trial was not about seeking truth. This trial was about evidence, gathering evidence to condemn a man that they've already condemned. This was the appearance of legality. Now I have to tell you a couple of things. It was a Jewish law that the accused person could not testify for himself. So if, if I was accusing somebody, the, the burden of proof fell on me to bring in witnesses against that person. This is totally illegal says here the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples. See, he's looking to incriminate Jesus. He wants to incriminate him. He wants to press him to get him to confess something that would show that he had some subversive agenda here. And if Jesus had said something, then Annas would become one of the primary witnesses in the next Jewish trial that was about to take place. So Annas is just saying, come on, give me something. Give me something, something that I can use against you. Jesus, of course, knowing all that is happening, was too smart for that. And Jesus answered him and said, I have spoken openly to the world. I have taught in the synagogue and in the temple where all the Jews come together. And I spoke nothing in secret. Why do you question me knowing the law? Why do you question me? Question those who have heard what I spoke to them. They know what I said. He's saying, give me a fair trial. Annas, you're corrupt. Do what's right. Do what you're supposed to do as a high priest here. He's giving Annas the chance to do it right. When Jesus had said this, one of the officers standing nearby struck Jesus, which also is illegal in a Jewish court, struck Jesus saying, is that the way you answer the high priest? And Jesus answered him, if I have spoken wrongly, testify of the wrong. 
but if rightly, why do you strike me? Let's do this right, Annas. Let's make this right. I'm giving you the opportunity. Do this the right way, and maybe you will see who I really am. But Annas refused. And so he sent him to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now, John does not record the trial before Caiaphas. You can find that in Matthew. And I was going to read that for the sake of time. I'm going to move on. But that's where Jesus stands before Caiaphas and they're trying to bring accusers in because that's what they had to do. They couldn't get any of the testimonies to match. Finally, two guys came in and both said he claimed that he'd, he would destroy the temple and rebuild it in, in three days. And so Caiaphas says, that's it. Let's just, he deserves to die. He's, he's claiming to be God. He deserves to die. And now John brings us back to Simon Peter. So now we're back out in the courtyard. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself so they said to him, you are not also one of his disciples, are you? Now, I want you to know that there is some discussion about this because in one of the gospels it says, a girl said to him. In another gospel it says, a man said to him. And here John is saying, they said to him. So how do we put this together? Well, we put it together by saying it was probably a man, a girl, and just picked up, and you can kind of see this. Stand there with me. Here's Peter. He's, he's by the fire. His face is glowing in the red glow of a charcoal fire. And people are looking at him saying, wait, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, I think he is one. Yeah, you even speak like a Galilean. I think, yes, he's got to be one of them. Were you with him? You can kind of picture that happening, right? And Peter answered with the same thing. I am not. I am not. Then one of the slaves of the high priest, being a relative of, one, of the one whose, whose ear Peter cut off said, did I not see you in the garden with him? Oh no, this is an eyewitness. This isn't just, hey, aren't you one of them? This is, you are one of them. I saw you there. One of the other gospels says at this point, Peter starts to call down curses. And Peter denied it again and immediately the rooster crowed. What a sad, sad moment for Peter. Just before this, he was so willing to give himself up for his Lord. We're going to talk more about this when we get to John chapter 21, when Peter is reinstated. I'm not going to talk a whole lot about this today. But you cannot miss the contrast that the Apostle John set up for us. Here, Jesus is accused of doing something that he didn't do, and he doesn't deny it. Peter is accused of doing something he did do, and he does deny it. We have self-preservation versus preserving others of Jesus. In John chapter 10, the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. That's exactly what Jesus was doing here. And so they led Jesus from Caiaphas into the Praetorium, and it was early. Now the Praetorium means we're stepping into the place where Pilate was staying. So now we leave the religious trials and we step into the civil triers, <laughs> trials. Uh, the, trial, the trials that, that would happen now are all about, Pilate's concern is, is Jesus a threat to Rome? 
And they themselves did not enter into the Praetorium, they being the Jews, so they would not be defiled, but might eat the Passover. Oh, this is terrible. So there was a rumor that Romans would take their dead children or an aborted fetus or, or a miscarriage and would bury them under their house or put them in the sewage system that was flowing under the house. The Jews refused to go into a Roman, a Roman habitation because they knew that they were, if they were in contact with something dead, they would be unclean. So here we have the religious leaders who, who bring Jesus to Pilate. They won't go in to do, do the work of, that they're supposed to do in a court case. They stay outside because they don't want to be defiled by this death. How ironic that here they're planning the death of Jesus, but they don't want to defile themselves because they don't want to miss the Passover. They missed the Passover. Jesus is the Passover. We just celebrated that. And they missed it. They missed it altogether. Do you feel the tension that, that is set up here in this? They were going to, they wanted to eat the Passover sacrifice, but they were killing the true Passover lamb. And there Pilate went out to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? Well, they don't want to give an accusation. They don't even have one. They just answered and said to him, if this man were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him to you. Pilate, give us the rubber stamp. Just agree with us. Condemn him. Condemn him to death. We know what we're doing. So Pilate said to them, take him yourself and judge him according to your law. And the Jews said to him, we're not permitted to put anyone to death. They admit all they want to do is kill him. They don't want a trial. They just want to put him to death. Get rid of this guy. We have a law. We can't put him to death. You need to do it for us. It makes it clear what their motive really was. John adds another commentary. To fulfill the words of Jesus he spoke, signifying by what kind of death he was about to die. So, Jesus had prophesied earlier that he would be handed over to the Gentiles, the Romans, and that he would be lifted up in his death. Now, if the Jews could practice capital punishment, they would have stoned Jesus. So he could not have said that he would be lifted up in his death, but knowing ahead that he would be crucified, he said that he would be lifted up in his death. And Caiaphas wanted him lifted up on a cross because of the, of, of the passage in Deuteronomy that says anyone who is hung on a tree is under God's curse. Caiaphas wanted to announce to everybody that Jesus is cursed of God and is hanging on a tree. Therefore, Pilate entered again. So the noise, you can hear the noise of the Jews. They're out there. He leaves them and enters again into the praetorium and summoned Jesus and said to him, now they're alone together. He said, are you the king of the Jews? You, you don't look like a rebel. You don't look like an insurrectionist here. What are you doing? Are you this king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, are you saying this on your own initiative or did others tell you about me. And the reason he asked this is because if Pilate is asking, are you the king of the Jews, a threat to Caesar? Then the answer is no. But if Pilate is asking on behalf of the Jews, are you the king of the Jews, the Messiah? The answer is yes. And Jesus wants to give the right answer. Pilate, by the way, could have ended the trial right here. 
at this point. If he had had any guts, he would have done so. Pilate answered, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests delivered, to, delivered you to me. What have you done? Let's get to the bottom of this. What have you done? Well, what has Jesus done so far? You can recount it with me, right? Hmm. He healed the blind. He healed the lepers. He cast out demons. He raised the dead. He fed thousands of people with two fish, and a couple of loaves. That's what Jesus has done. There's no accusation here. What have you done? In Luke 4, Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom of the prisoner and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's what the Lord has done. He has done that for us. Jesus answered Pilate and he said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews like Peter did, but I stopped it. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. You see, the kingdom that Jesus came to, to establish was a kingdom that would be present in this world, but not of this world. If you're a believer, you're present in this world, but you are not of this world. You don't belong here. You're an alien. You're a stranger in a foreign land. You are making relationships with people, but you're a stranger in a foreign land. Therefore, Pilate said to him, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say correctly that I am a king. For this reason, I have been born. For this reason, I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Jesus saying, I came as a king not to, not to rule people like you're thinking, but to reveal truth. Now, this is really important. Jesus didn't come to tell us what truth was. He didn't come to establish truth. He came to show us who truth is. He himself is truth. It said in, in John chapter one that he came full of grace and truth. In John chapter eight, he reveals God, the Father, in truth. And in John chapter 14, he said, I am the truth and the life. And when he says to, to Pilate, he says, everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate, do you hear my voice? Do you see what's, truth. Truth is in front of you, Pilate. This is your time. What are you going to do with the truth? How are you going to respond, Pilate, to this truth? And Pilate missed it. Truth is right in front of him and he missed it. What is truth? What is truth? Now at some point in this, Pilate sends Jesus over to Herod for yet another trial. Herod gets frustrated, sends Jesus back. And Pilate goes out to the Jews and he says to them, I find no guilt in him, no guilt. But you have a custom that I release someone for you at the Passover. Do you wish then on, that I would release, you for, release for you the king of the Jews? So there was this custom where Pilate during the Passover would let one prisoner go. Israel needed a king. Jesus was their king and he's saying, can I release this king of the Jews for you? But they cried out instead and said, no, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Barabbas wasn't really just a robber. Barabbas was an insurrectionist. 
Barabbas was a rebel. He was trying to get an uprising against Rome and caused a lot of trouble for the Jews. That's who Barabbas was. Barabbas was really what they were trying to accuse Jesus of. He was really it. And the Jews said, release him. Don't release, release the one who really isn't that. And not only that, but the name Barabbas means son of the father. You catch the irony here? The wrong son was released. The son of God should have been released, but he wasn't. The son of the devil was released. He was released for them. We enter into John chapter 19. Pilate then took Jesus and scourged him. This is horrible. He just declared Jesus is innocent. He said, I find no fault in him, no guilt in him. But we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna whip him up because he was saying the same thing the Jews are saying. The Jews have a bloodlust. They want, they want somebody to die. Let me, just, let me just beat him and then send him out to send him out to them and maybe they'll forget about it because they see, well, I punished him. Let me remind you what scourging is. They strip a man, they tie him to a post, then there's one or two Roman guards who have whips which are full of leather strips. On the end of those leather strips are fastened bones or rocks or pieces of metal and they whip the accused one and whip and whip. And I know we've all heard about the 39 lashes. Jews would only do 39 lashes. These weren't Jews. These were Romans. And they didn't have a limit. They stopped when the accused one died or the soldiers were too tired to keep going, which is what happened with Jesus. Pilate had Jesus flogged by Roman soldiers. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and put a purple robe on him. And they began to come up to him and say, Hail, King of the Jews! And to give him slaps in the face. The irony that they would be mocking the real king as if he wasn't a king. And Pilate came out to them again and said, Behold, I am bringing him out to you so that you may know that I find no guilt in him. Wait a minute, Pilate. What did you just do? You found no guilt in him. But you present this man to the Jews. And he said to them, behold the man. What do you see right now? This man bloodied, beaten, hardly breathing, almost dead. Jesus suffering for you and for me. Uh, so when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they, they cried out saying, crucify, crucify. Pilate said, take him yourself and crucify him for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, we have a law and by that law he ought to die because he made himself out to be the son of God. Now, this gets Pilate's attention. A son of God, Caesar was a son of God. Romans believed that sons of God could walk on the earth and they caused trouble for the mortals that were there. So he was even more afraid. And he comes to Jesus and he says, where are you from? He's not asking where he was born. He's asking, are you a son of God? 
Are, are you from heaven? And remember, Pilate's wife had told him, have nothing to do with this man. Nothing to do with this man. I have a bad feeling about this. But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, you do not speak to me. Do you not know that I have authority to release you and I have authority to crucify you? But he was too chicken to do either. He did neither of those. Jesus answered, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given to you from above. No doubt Pilate's thinking the above means Caesar, but Jesus was meaning God. Jesus himself, Jesus himself, who was from above, had the authority over Pilate and was allowing Pilate to do what he was doing so Jesus could step forward in the plan that God had for him. For this reason, he who delivered me to you has a greater sin, talking about Caiaphas. As a result of this, Pilate made efforts to release him, but still, they would not take him. But the Jews cried out, if you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar's. Everyone who makes himself out to be a king opposes Caesar's. So here's the thing. Uh, not too long before this, the governor of Egypt was declared to be not a friend of Caesar's. Life was made so bad for that man that he wound up committing suicide. And it's likely that Pilate after this eventually went and did the same thing. See, he was afraid that the Jews, that a report, the Jews would send a report back to Caesar that said, somebody who's claiming to be king was released by Governor Pilate. Well, that looks pretty bad for Pilate. He is trapped. He's absolutely trapped. Therefore, I'm gonna move down to 14 now. It was the day of preparation of Passover and it was about the sixth hour and he said to the Jews, behold your king. Look at this mess. Behold your king. You, you awful people, you get the king you deserve. And they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? Mocking and the the chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar, and how true that was. They had rejected God as their king. They traded Jesus for Barabbas, and now they're trading God for Caesar. They had rejected their king. And so they led him over to be crucified. Through this whole situation, Jesus is in control. Jesus wasn't arrested he handed himself over. He wasn't interrogated. He was offering righteous options for the high priest and the governor. And he wasn't crucified. He was lifted up and glorified. Jesus is not a victim. Jesus is the victor. Jesus is the victor. He is in complete control. And he was a victor who was on a mission to rescue a people for his own kingdom. God will accomplish his purposes. He will reveal his glory. Despite what the outward situations look like, God is in control. He's in control of history. He's in control of everything right now. Now, believer, this is great hope for you and me because I know our world looks pretty dark. And I know some of you are going through trials that are very dark. God's in control. If he was in control of this situation which looks like complete defeat and complete disaster, then he is in control of your situation and you can rest in him. This is Jesus who died for you. 
He did this for you. He will accomplish his purpose. He will reveal his glory in your life in spite of what it looks like. So stand fast, hold firm. Don't deny like Peter did. Stay in the fray. Stay with it. God has not left you. Jesus has gone before you. It says he was tempted in every way just as we are yet without sin. That's the Jesus who died for you and who is stepping you through this time. If he was in control of that hour, then he's in control of this hour today. He is your God. Believer, hang on. Hang on to that. This account looks like a tragedy, but it's not a tragedy for Jesus. This is a human tragedy. It was a tragedy for the Jews who rejected their God. It was a tragedy for the Gentiles who rejected truth. It was a tragedy for Peter who denied his Savior. You see, Jesus did nothing to deserve death. He did nothing to incite hatred, but they hated him because his righteousness illuminated their evil. Him being the embodiment of truth exposed their lies and they had to silence him. They had to censor him. They had to kill Jesus. You and I are responsible because it's for our sin that he died. And so I wanna, I wanna stop today by reading some of the questions of Pilate. Are you thinking, Pilate asked, are you the king of the Jews? Yes, the answer is yes. Where are you from? Jesus was from, from heaven, he's God. He's from heaven and he came down to live as a human so that he could take on the sins that you and I have committed. Nail them to the cross, pay the penalty for them so you and I could go free. Pilate asked, what have you done? Well, provided salvation. Salvation for us. Pilate asks, what is truth? Jesus is truth. There's no other truth. You're not gonna find it anywhere else. Jesus is the embodiment of truth. You want truth? Follow Jesus. And then he asks, what shall I do with Jesus? And that question is for you today. What shall you do with Jesus? Now, if you have not followed Jesus, if he is not your king, then Caesar's your king. Biden is your king. You are your king. A lot of good that's gonna do you. Jesus is the king and he wants you to follow him as your personal king. If you are here and you have not done that, if you have not received Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life, today's the day. Truth has been presented to you and you're now responsible for your response to that. Your reaction to that truth is your responsibility. Don't be like Caiaphas or Annas or Pilate who missed it. It was standing right in front of them and missed it. Today, Jesus is in front of you.
Don't miss it. We are going to close now by praying. And as I pray, I'm gonna ask for you to come forward. If you would like to make a commitment to Jesus, say, yes, Jesus, I'm tired of ruling myself. I'm tired of somebody else being my king. I want you. Then come forward. Come sit on the front, front row. One of the elders will come and pray with you and help you. Or if you're a believer and say, you know what, I just need to make sure Jesus is on the throne and I want to recommit, then come forward. and Someone will pray with you and help you in that. Would you pray with me now?